Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Hello, welcome to the DSR Daily uh, for Friday. It's the end of the week here in Washington, D.C. It's a winter wonderland, which has a calming effect on all of our nerves. Despite the news, I'm David Rothkopf, one of your co-hosts, joined as ever by two other wonderful co-hosts, Chris Cottonwar up there in New Jersey. Is it snowy in New Jersey? Uh, Not yet, but it will be. It will be. Um, And... Riley Fessler here in snowy Washington Winter Wonderland. How are you doing, Riley? Enjoying the Winter Wonderland. Exactly. That's what we should all be doing. Uh, it's a weekend and it's Winter Wonderland. Uh, now, having said that, I, I asked this with a lot of hesitation since I know the kind of news you guys usually deliver. What's first, Chris? Uh, good news. The uh, Congress passed a uh, stopgap bill to, to avoid a government shutdown. Wow, um, that's a fantastic. What a progress they're making. You, well, you'll recall that uh, Mike Johnson proposed um, this phased approach <clears throat> to uh, passing these bills um, with an eye toward negotiating a permanent package uh, by March. Um, well, that's far- a lot of progress for the Christo-fascist Keebler elf. The- <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you about that guy in a minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he passed despite uh, reservations, um, opposition from the far right. Uh, Democrats largely supported it, obviously looking toward the bigger picture. My question, though, back to your comment, is do you, how's Mike Johnson doing as Speaker of the House? Is he effective? Or just another dude? <laughs> is that a rhetorical question, or is this just a chance to tee it up for me? Um, uh, I, th- yeah, I get it. It's a chance to tee it up. I, so far, he hasn't done anything. Now, you know, I mean, you know, do no first, do no harm. I guess is the Hippocratic oath. But on the other hand, by doing nothing, he's actually done some damage. You know, we haven't gotten. Uh, aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan through, which, you know, there was a time clock on that. The end of December, the Russians are starting to make gains. Ukrainians have run out of money. 
Uh, and Johnson is making mixed signals about whether he'll put this through. On Sunday, he spoke to a group of uh, Republicans and said, no, I don't think we need a border deal um, until November. You'll recall the border deal was the the obstacle that they put in the way of getting this other deal, saying first we have to deal with the border. Democrats made some progress on that. Uh, on the other hand, the, the Senate seems closer to that and may actually pass such a deal next week uh, in the hopes of then getting to a Ukraine deal. And we don't know whether Johnson is going to do it, whether he's going to need Democratic cover so that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene can't fire him, you know, go, you know, go, you know, do a Kevin McCarthy on him. Uh, because, the, you know, Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene, they don't want more aid for Ukraine. They, they, they would like to see Ukraine uh, collapse. Marjorie Taylor Greene has said that if we don't give aid to Ukraine, peace will follow. Um, I mean, that's true. It'll be, you know, the peace of Russian victory in Ukraine. Um, uh, so, you know, he hasn't done that. He hasn't done anything else. He hasn't passed a budget. So I guess if you give him, you know, a grade based on what he's accomplished, it's zero. And the damage he's done is growing. I don't think that's a very good grade. Do you? I mean, is that what you want out of a Speaker of the House? Okay, Riley, what's up for you? Well, the Justice Department has released their much-anticipated report uh, into the Uvalde shooting. And it follows a report that had been done by Texas lawmakers in 2022 that was also pretty damning. And this echoes a lot of those sentiments. Uh, one of the main takeaways is that it places a lot of the blame at the former school police chief uh, who was already fired uh, due to this. But there are ongoing criminal investigations and lawsuits against local officials and police. Some of the highlights, or I guess lowlights, uh, would be probably more appropriate, is that despite nearly 400 officers responding to the situation, it took 77 minutes for police to confront the shooter, which, I mean, to me is just unbelievably shocking and that gross incompetence that it took so long, uh, despite the fact that there was clear evidence that this was an active shooting situation. They treated it as if it was a somebody just blockading themselves in. Um, so, you know, I think I'm curious to see what their effects of this report are. The Justice Department won't be issuing any charges because they don't have jurisdiction um, so instead it was kind of more just to provide clarity and guidance, but I think it's still pretty damning and I'm curious to see if it'll result in further action at the local level. Well, maybe it'll help some of the smaller police departments, larger police departments largely have these kind of training programs and procedures in place. Uh, the, the, the priority in one of these situations is to get to the shooter and to stop him from shooting. And that means that, you know, the, the protocol is in most police departments, if there is a shooter, police go to the shooter, they use whatever uh, they have at their disposal, and they try to neutralize the shooter. Um, this is great tragedy, 19 students dead, two teachers dead, um, uh, in addition to the shooter. Um, uh, but, you know, if you want to reduce school shootings, uh you know, multiple page Justice Department reports with 293 recommendations aren't the way you're going to do it. The way you're going to do it is you're going to make it harder for people to get guns. 
uh, particularly the kind of automatic weapons that make this kind of mass toll much more likely. Um, you know, police go into these situations and they feel that they're outgunned um, by people who are buying semi-automatic rifles and then modifying them and giving them mega, uh, mega-sized clips and so forth. So, you know, we, we've got a gun problem in America, not a school shooting problem, not a mall shooting problem, not a mental health problem. Uh, and that's what, that's what we're going to need to fix if we're going to fix this. Chris? Benjamin Netanyahu continues to reject calls for a Palestinian state, a two-state solution, which the United States <clears throat> has effectively said, uh, you know, that that's the only way forward. Yesterday on our podcast, uh, you were joined by Alon Pincus, Rosa, and Corey to uh, discuss Netanyahu and the situation in Israel um, you know, raising questions around what's, you know, what is the end game here? And I wonder, um, again, asking for your take, what's the likelihood that a two-state solution will happen? Uh, and two, what damage in the long run does, does this do to the United States and Israel's uh, relationship? Um, well, in the long run, in the short run, I, I, I don't know. Let me say a few things. One, Netanyahu yesterday sort of threw down the gauntlet with the United States. You know, he just sort of said there is no pretense of cooperation. Not only did he say that he was opposed to an independent Palestinian state, which is really prerequisite towards security and peace in the region, um, uh, and the official position, by the way, of his ally, the United States, but... Um, he also said that he wanted an Israel that extended from the river to the sea. Now, you may recall that uh, a lot of uh, 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 pro-Israelis um, uh, said that using the term from the river to the sea on behalf of the Palestinians was a call for genocide because it meant to wipe out the Israelis. Um, Netanyahu embraced it and said, no, I, I, view a Jew I want a Jewish state that goes from the river to the sea. So is that genocidal? I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I, it, it certainly was provocative, and it certainly sent a message that he was just not, um, you know, not a Team USA, not 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 seeking a solution. Uh, there are a lot of people in Israel who think, you know, he's just playing this out because the longer the war goes on, the longer he's in power. The end and. Uh, uh, he has also said he does not think there should be elections while the war goes on because it would be divisive for the country. Um, you know, sounds a little bit like Trump saying, you know, you can't disqualify me from the thing or there would be, it would tear the country apart. But, um, you know, the, the, the issue here for um, the United States and countries in the region that want to achieve peace and stability is that Netanyahu's made it absolutely clear that the only way to get there is without him. You got to get rid of Hamas. You got to have a new Palestinian leadership. And you have to have new Israeli leadership because he is an obstacle. He is somebody making the situation worse and more dangerous. Um, and the question is, you know, 
to how directly does the United States say that? Do his remarks yesterday push them more towards conditionality for U.S. aid to Israel, uh, as I as I think they should? Um, uh, don't know. But what I do know is this, that people like me and Alan, and we talked about this in the podcast, who from the very beginning were saying, you know, Netanyahu is going to behave this way, uh, and he is no friend of the U.S., and he is no ally of peace. Um, you know, are now this the unfortunate um, position of saying this is exactly what we predicted. It's getting time for other Israeli leaders to step up and say, "We're challenging him. We're gonna, you know, put you know put have a no confidence vote, uh, etc." Et um, or you know, Israel will become more and more of a pariah because uh, Netanyahu is is universally seen as. Is you know purveyor of a huge, huge uh, tragedy. I just did an article for the Daily Beast today on Ukraine and calls calls from for for Russians for kind of genocidal behavior. And in doing the article, I you know came up with the horrific fact that um, ten thousand civilians have been killed in Ukraine in the past two years. Well, twenty five thousand have been killed in Gaza. Um, in the past hundred plus days, in fact, Oxfam and some other you know independent groups have concluded that this has been the worst war for civilian casualties uh, in this century, uh, the, the highest level of of, of civilian casualties. Uh, so that's on Netanyahu too. Uh, it's a very very tough moment, and uh, I urge everybody to listen to the podcast yesterday because I thought it was extremely good discussion. Right. Well, there's unrest in Russia, but maybe not over what people might think. Uh, over 1,500 demonstrators gathered in the capital of Russia's Republic of Bashkortostan uh, to support the indigenous campaigner Fayel As- Alsinov, uh, who was sentenced to four years in prison. Um, and Alsinov is known for his 2020 campaign where he uh, rallied against limestone mining in the region uh, and is seen as a kind of crusader for the indigenous people in the region. Uh, he was arrested for language he used at a 2023 speech where he used a local term that translates uh, colloquially to kind of common people, but directly uh, translates to black people. So he was uh, criticized by the government for, they allege, uh, criticizing uh, migrant workers and people from the Caucasus. Uh, but his supporters say is this is entirely retribution for his activism. So this follows another protest that happened on Wednesday that saw similarly large numbers. Um, but I think it's an issue that I have not seen really covered at all. Um, and I think it's interesting to highlight that the divisions within Russia go beyond just the Ukraine issue and that there's other kind of cracks forming as we head into an election, quote unquote, uh, year for Russia. Yeah, well, you know, election. But, you know, it's not an election. It's a coronation. But having said that, Russia is feeling uh, a lot of internal social pressures, some caused by sanctions, some caused by the incompetence of the government. Uh, and one of the reasons that, you know, Putin cracks down 
um, and uh, runs the kind of, you know, authoritarian state that he does is that he knows that if he lets up, uh, you know, there'll be more opposition. Things will break apart. Uh, question is, you know, do, do you know what, what would another war in another year, several years of sanctions, do to Putin? Um, and, and you know, he's not getting any younger. Uh, and then you know, if the news out of Ukraine turns bad again, um, you know, you've just got to you've just got to keep an eye on this kind of thing. Uh, and and you're right to you know ask you know what's going to be the spark might not be what we expect chris uh on the subject of ukraine ukraine's uh ukraine drones uh hit an oil refinery st petersburg russia um destroying the refinery but apparently the drones also flew over a residence owned by president vladimir putin um I'm raising this story because going through and and preparing for the show every morning, uh, news outlets used to have Ukraine, Russia at the top of their page. There was at least a story uh, that was covering the Ukraine-Russia war. Um, I feel like the media, not the DSR network for sure, uh, given your recent article, in the Daily Beast, uh, in you, you know our coverage of Ukraine, we have to keep this conversation at the forefront. Um, again, it's important that Congress acts and sends funding um, to Ukraine to thwart uh, Russia's offensive. Um, but we're not paying enough attention to this right now. And yeah, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start seeing, oh, the Ukraine-Russia war is, you know, two years old. And, and, um, you know, there's a fatigue factor with the American public, no no doubt. Um, We do a shitty job of covering. We we move to the next, you know, most exciting thing um, all the time. Uh, And it's it's. It's tragic. We have to pay attention to Ukraine. No question about it. That is what my column is in the post. Uh, I mean, in the da- uh, Daily Beast today, and um, uh, you know, uh, the, the Russians are continue to take a toll. Um, that you know, there are hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians that have been kidnapped from Ukraine. There are hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian students, kids who have been taken off to Russia and who are being brainwashed into hating Ukraine, not speaking Russian. Yesterday, um, uh, the uh, regional authorities in Luhansk, which is one of the occupied regions of Ukraine, banned the use of textbooks and educational materials in Ukrainian. They're trying to erase um, uh, the, the, the country uh yesterday um uh, uh the former russian president um uh dmitry medvedev uh said the following the existence of ukraine is fatally dangerous for ukrainians they will understand that life with russia in a large common state meaning as Ukraine becomes part of Russia, 
which they do not want very much now, is better than death. Their deaths and the deaths of their loved ones, better better than death, their deaths and the deaths of their loved ones. And the sooner Ukrainians realize this, the better. Um, You know, this is horrific. And as I say in the Daily Beast article, you can debate whether from the river to the sea is genocidal. What this dude is saying, and he's deputy chairman of the Security Council in Russia, is genocidal. And, uh, uh, you know, it is the language they use on a regular basis is despicable, even about Russians, by the way. The foreign minister yesterday was asked, I think, at Davos about, you know, the, you know, the Russians who like oh, don't want to fight in the war and so forth and um, who, who are against the war. And he said, the good thing about events like this is they cleanse Russia. They cleanse it of these kind of bad people. And uh, that's something Putin has said earlier, too. So, you know, we have to fight every impulse we've got to just get bored with this. We're coming up on the second anniversary of it. Uh, it's possible for the Ukrainians to inflict more damage on the Russians and even to win this thing. Uh, and, you know, in the past couple of weeks, you've had senior officials from across Eastern Europe, uh, yesterday Poland, a couple of weeks ago Latvia, saying, if Russia is not defeated in Ukraine, they will not stop there. And, you know, that will be front page news because if they go into NATO, there'll be U.S. troops on the ground. You know, Article 5 requires that we act. And um, uh, it'll, it'll be a, you know, world war, global cataclysm level war. And... Uh, and, and 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 nobody can let that happen. And the way things like that happen is when you stop paying attention and stop providing, you know, support for doing the right thing in places like Ukraine. Riley? Well, ending on a more uplifting story, uh, Japan's moon mission is set to land today. Uh, they're attempting a high-precision lunar landing, uh, which would make them the fifth country to land a spacecraft on the moon. And the really interesting part of this is that it's that high precision aspect. They're calling it their moon sniper probe, uh, which is set to land within 100 meters of its target, which would be pretty unprecedented in terms of accuracy. And it really comes as Japan is trying to strengthen its role in space, uh, especially in response to China's growing capabilities. And they're still planning to send an astronaut to the moon with NASA's Artemis program as well. So they overcame some setbacks with this, um, but it is exciting and it highlights that Japan's kind of focus in, I guess, the new space race, if you want to call it that, is focusing on smaller scale, more advanced technology rather than huge capacity, given that they're not going to be able to compete with the US, China and India in terms of just sheer resources. So I think it's exciting. Hopefully it's successful. We will see later today, Um, but just an interesting story. Well, you know, the nature of the conquest of space, as we used to call it, has changed a lot. A lot of countries have programs that, you know, the Chinese have a big program. They have their own space station. They just launched people or a supply ship up to it. Uh, there's the International Space Station, uh, which just had a, a, a bunch of uh, three uh, more astronauts uh, sent up to it via SpaceX, which is, of course, Elon Musk's venture. Uh, that included the first Turkish uh, astronaut. 
We've had astronauts from the Middle East, from Latin America, from uh, uh, every part of the world at this point. The Indians have a program. Uh, I think the uh, Emiratis have a program, and they're you know sending a, a mission to Mars. Uh, you know, uh, and you know this is a good thing for the world, and, and you don't have to have scale, you know, to conduct useful experiments and and so forth. Uh, having said that. Uh, you know, the Chinese and, and others are, uh, you know, the Iranians, the Russians continue to explore the uses of uh, uh, space for military purposes, spying purposes, and so forth. Not to say we don't do that, just to say space is also getting to be a more dangerous place, at least the near space, uh, closer to this uh, planet. Um in any event, it's a, that's a story to watch. I've been watching that story since I think I was five years old. And I, you know, when I just spent all my time, I'd like, I used to write to NASA, please send me pictures of the astronauts. Um, and they would like send all this promotional material. And then I would build little spaceships all around my house. And I, and I was pretty sure I was going to end up being an astronaut, which has not happened, but you know, I'm not giving up hope. Um, perhaps someday we will have the DSR. Um, space mission. You'd, you'd go on that, right, Chris? I would definitely do that. Definitely do I'll that. I'll take Riley. one of Elon Musk's rockets. We, Riley, are you ready to go? Oh, I'm, I'm ready and packed. I'm, I'm just waiting. So see, see that, folks? We will go to stop at nothing to find the news, even if it, that takes us to the final frontier. Um, in any event, uh, we'll keep doing that next week. Uh, starting on uh, Monday and continuing each and every day for the week. Uh, the week after next is the week we're going to launch our new podcast with uh, the New Republic. Uh, so we'll have a daily from us. We'll have a daily from them with Greg Sargent from the Washington Post. Plus, we'll have each of our um, uh, individual deep dive podcasts uh, just giving you a bigger array of choices. So we hope you like it, and if you've got thoughts and comments on that, email us, DM us on Twitter, get into our Slack, comment there. Um, we'd love to have your feedback, and we'd love to be responsive to it. Until then, have a good weekend. Bye-bye.